So it's been a few weeks since I've been here, so I want to remind you what book we have been studying. And for those of you who are sick of the book of Acts, we only have two more after this. We are uh, working our way through. We are in Acts chapter 25, and because it's been a couple weeks, uh, let me just remind you of what we have learned so far through this book. If you remember, the book of, of Acts is a book of transition. Because at the beginning here, we have Jesus Christ, and he is leaving. But before he leaves, he says he's going to, to send a helper, the Holy Spirit. And he sends the Holy Spirit, and it's just transition. People are going from the old ways of doing things to the new way. Because back then, not every believer had the Holy Spirit indwelling within them. Whereas today, every believer has the Holy Spirit indwelling within them. So we see a lot of change. And one of the biggest changes was Paul. At the time, his Hebrew name is Saul. And he believed in God, correct? And he studied the Old Testament, correct? But did he appreciate Christians? No, he did not. And he did whatever he could to get rid of them. And we'll talk about his testimony again today. But we see a transformation in his life. And now, instead of speaking out against God, what is he doing? He is speaking out for God. And he is telling everybody everywhere about his faith in Christ. And currently, where is Paul as he's called now, where is he currently? He is in prison. He is in custody, and he's gone through a couple of different trials. But where we left him last time was what did he do? He appealed to Caesar. He appealed to Caesar. Now today, we're talking about don't be a spy, and as I was reading through this passage that we're talking about today, there was a phrase there that just kind of stuck out to me. Now, we know Paul. We see his life. And does he do anything in secret? Is he quiet about his faith? No, he's not. And for us as believers, sometimes we try to live our lives in a way where nobody can tell that we're a believer. We want to blend in with our surroundings. So my family and I, this past uh, couple weeks ago, while we were on vacation, we were in D.C. And because it was so hot, our plans changed, and we wanted to go to a place that had air conditioning. Right? I'm sure you've been there. So we decided to go to the International Spy Museum. Now, if any of you are, are I guess, geeks is what we call ourselves nowadays, like me, I, you would really enjoy it, I would think, because you can go there, and as you walk through this museum, you can see the different items and tools that spies used, because one of a job as a spy is when you go, right, when you're beyond enemy lines, is to not get caught. And you try to uh, infiltrate yourself in, in the enemy and not have them know that you're actually on the other side, that you're playing for the other team. And what was interesting and fun was during this time, you could take on a, like a spy role. So I had a code name and, and uh, 
I could go through these things and, and you would go to these kiosks and you would read some information and you would try to memorize it because then you had to answer those questions and you had to get them right because if, you know, if a spy gets an answer wrong, that could be the difference between uh, mission, uh, mission being successful and, and it failing. And as a spy, you don't want your mission to fail. But then there was this one place where we could, uh, we had to infiltrate this place, and so we had to disguise ourselves. So I had my son help me disguise myself, and I have a picture of that for you to see today. And here's my thinking. Does this guy blend in? No, doesn't blend in at all. But that's my thinking. If you come out dressed like that, right, with hair like that, with a monocle and, and a mustache and a facial expression, people may look at you, but they probably, you know, okay, that guy is definitely not a spy because he is not trying to blend in. And sometimes that's the best way to blend in is by not blending in at all. But as I was preparing this message, it reminded me of how many times I have been a Christian spy. How many times I have been maybe out in public or out with friends, and they are saying or doing something which I know is wrong, but I don't want them to know what I believe. And so I keep quiet. I blend in. I engage in their activities so that they can't spot me. Can any of you relate to that? I think at one point or another, we've at least been tempted to blend in. I mean, when you go out to a restaurant, and you know, right, we're supposed to bless, you know, ask God to bless the food for us. Sometimes we'd be in a restaurant, it's like, okay, I need to bless my food because I'm a Christian, but I don't want anybody to see me, so I'm going to keep my eyes open, I'm just going to kind of pray while I'm looking around. And then, you know, there may be those of us that actually bow our heads, right, and fold our hands so that people around us can know. And it's tough, but we're going to learn today that Paul calls himself, right? He is not a spy. He is not a secret Christian, which if you remember, he was accused of that at the beginning when he was first converted and he wanted to, and he tried to join the Christians. What did they accuse him of? Of being a spy. He's going to come and find out who we are so that he can arrest us and have us killed. But Paul, and again, we're going to talk about it today, but he mentions he is not a spy. He did not do anything secret. He lived his faith out loud and publicly. And what an example that is for us today. So that's what we're going to be learning about today, is that we as believers should not be a spy. But before we get into God's word this morning, let's just bow our heads in a word of prayer. Lord, we come before you this morning, and Lord, just what an awesome day it is to be here, to be with fellow believers. Lord, and, and as we um, discuss this passage today, Lord, help us not to be Christian spies. Lord, help us to live boldly for you. Lord, I pray that uh, our friends, our families, neighbors, whoever we, we come across, our coworkers, that they would know that we are your followers. Lord, help us to learn from your word today and help us, Lord, uh, to apply it to our lives as well. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we begin our passage today, 
let's talk about the situation. What is the current situation? So this first part is the situation explained. There is a scenario that's going on, and here Festus is going to explain it. And what happens here is there's a king. King Agrippa comes to him, and Festus has a problem. He has a situation. So he explains, and he starts off with, there is a prisoner, right, that, that Saul was left, or Paul was left as a prisoner. You ever did that? You, you go, you get a new job, and you're left with somebody else's problem that you have to fix? You ever done that? I think some, there, if there's any contractors here, sometimes you're hired to do a job to fix the previous guy's mistakes, and you have to go in, and it's extra work. So here's what's going on. Let's read verses 13 and 14. It says, now when some days had passed, Agrippa, the king, and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. And as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, there is a man left prisoner by Felix. And if you remember, did Felix leave on good terms? No, he was basically fired for mishandling several situations. So as a gift to the Jews, because he messed up, He left Paul in prison for them. So now here Festus arrives on the scene, and King Agrippa and Bernice showed up. Now, who are they? Well, they are Jews, and there is what last week we talked about, dysfunction junction. We talked about uh, families having issues, right? Is there a family here that does not have any issues? Um, Liar. You're probably the issue. No. No, I know who you're sitting with. I can guess who that who the issue is. But we all have dysfunctions and we learned last week how God can use those dysfunctions. But this is a dysfunctional family. Bernice was married to her uncle at one point. He since passed. So then she moves in with Agrippa, who is her brother. Now, from my understanding, from my studies, they never officially married, but they lived together, and the rumors were big that, that they were in an incestuous relationship. So these are our people, our Jews. They know the Old Testament, which, again, we'll, we'll verify that here in a bit, but they obviously weren't following God. King Agrippa, you may remember his father. We learned about him uh, several weeks ago, and he was eaten by worms. Remember that? Yeah, so here you have not a good legacy by any means, but here he is king right now. And he comes to visit Festus, which again, Festus is new on the job, so the king is coming to check it out. And so Festus is like, yes, King Agrippa, you're here. Thank you. I'm new. I'm trying to figure this out. Here's this problem. This guy, he wasn't my problem, right? Felix left him, but he's my problem now. And then he goes on to explain the situation even more and saying that this Paul is accused without proof. Accused without proof. Let's start with verse 15. And when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, 
asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face and had opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. So when they came together here, I made no delay. But on the next day, took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. When the accuser stood up, they brought no charge in his case as of such evils as I supposed. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Right? And we've learned about that. We've talked about that trial. And they cast all these accusations against him. But there was only one thing that was even remotely true. And what was that? It was that he spoke of Jesus Christ being the Messiah, that he died and rose again. And did Pharisees believe in a resurrection of the bodies? Yes, they did. The Sadducees didn't, but the Pharisees did. So from Paul's perspective in, in, in this, this is not far-fetched. You've been taught this. You know this. You're educated men. So in believing in the resurrection... It shouldn't be that difficult. But it was, and even for a time, it was difficult for Paul. And then Festus goes on and says that, that Paul ended up appealing to Caesar, and he appealed to Caesar, verses uh, 20 and 21. Being at a loss how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them. But when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Okay, so he gives this, all this situation, and Paul, at the end of all this, right, all this uh, drama, he says, hey, I appeal to Caesar. And so that is what Festus now has to do. He has to follow orders, but there's a problem. There's a, there's a dilemma. And let's read about what, Festus's dilemma actually is, um, starting with verse 22. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, you will hear him. So the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had done nothing deserving death. And as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But, and here's the dilemma, but I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. You see, here is Festus's problem. He needs to send Paul to Caesar to be questioned, uh, to be on trial, but there's no charge. 
again, Festus is coming into, into a bad situation. Felix messed up, and here he is, new on the job, trying to, trying to do things right. But he doesn't know what the charge is. He's like, I don't know what to send. So King Agrippa, because of, of you, you being a Jew and you being knowledgeable, not just in Jewish customs, but Rome, Rome's customs as well, could you please help me out? And you can see in his position, in Festus' position, he's in a tight spot. He needs to do what is legally bound to do, but he wants to know how to do it. And here he is, we've had some trials, and the accusers, you know, they accuse him of stuff, but then the accusers weren't there, and it's all just made up stuff, and I, I don't know what to do. Have you ever been at a loss, and you just needed somebody to help you? You're in this situation, and you just don't know what to do, and you cry out for help? That's what Festus, I, that's what I think he's doing. Agrippa, thanks for coming. I have this issue. Please, can you help So then, Paul is given a chance to respond, to make his case again, and this is the defense given. Now, we have read already twice before about Paul's conversion. This is the third time that that we are reading about it, so I'm not going to go into great detail, but still, it's in God's Word, and it's in here the third time in Acts, so it's there for a reason. So let's see how Paul talks about his testimony this time. And we see some variances in it, some some terminology that's a little bit different. But I think that also shows that there's more than one way to share your testimony. Some of us are like, oh, I don't have a testimony like Paul, so I don't have a story to tell. But guess what? If you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have a story to tell. You do. It may not be all all peaches and cream. It may not be exciting, but it's still a a story, and it's a true story. But in his defense, he talks again about how he grew up a Pharisee. He grew up a Pharisee. Let's start with verse 1 of chapter 26 of Acts. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. And remember, he's in shackles at this moment. So he reaches out his hand to speak a grand gesture with chains. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa. I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers to which our twelve tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, 
But when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Paul's like, it is no secret what I did prior to coming to Christ. I was the, the best, right? I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I did everything. I grew up in Jerusalem. Everybody knew Paul. Everybody knew him. Not a secret. And he was very prominent, and he persecuted Christians. He persecuted believers, even to the point where when it came for them to die for their faith, he was like, right on, I approve, let's do this. So much evidence that that's how he was. That's how he was. But then he saw a light. He saw a light. Verses 12 and 13. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, a king, O king, I'm sorry, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. Right? He's going to Damascus to persecute Christians, and he sees a light brighter than the the sun. And then he heard a voice. 14. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this for this purpose to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul saw a voice, or saw a light, I'm sorry, he heard a voice, and what did that voice tell him to do? To witness to the Gentiles. Now, in Jewish history, in Jewish text, in the Old Testament, does God ever say that he will bring salvation to the Gentiles? Does he? Yes, several times. Several times. And in the Old Testament, does it speak about the resurrection? Yes, it does. And here, Paul is saying that all of this evidence has, has come. I, right at the beginning, I didn't believe it. I didn't follow, follow through with it. I was actually against it. But then when I came face to face, right, just as we sung here before, right, Paul came face to face with God, with Jesus. And because of that, right, his life was transformed. So he not only saw light, he not only heard a voice, but then he obeyed the voice, verses 19 to 21. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance 
For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. All right, that's what was going on. And I love how Paul clarifies here repentance, right? Not only do you repent from your sin, but your deeds, your works should be in keeping with that repentance, See, so many times there are people who call themselves Christians, say, yes, I believe in Jesus, but then their life doesn't change. We've talked about this before. Repent means what? To turn around, to go in the opposite direction. And so many times people, before they come to Christ, they're heading in this direction. Then they say that they put their faith in Christ. And do they actually change directions or do they keep going? Sometimes they keep going. Now, it's, it's difficult, and I want to be clear here. Can a Christian still sin? Yes. All of you here, whether you're saved or whether you're not, you still sin. But our deeds, the things that we are known for, should, they be, should we be known for our sin? We shouldn't be known for our sin. We should be known for what we do, for the, for the fruit that we bear, and that's what Paul is saying here, and he talks about that in his book of Romans. Should we continue to sin that grace may abound? No. Will grace, right, does God's grace cover all of our sins? Yes. Should we take advantage of that grace? No. And that's what Paul is saying here real quickly, real shortly, that that's what he preaches. He preaches that they not only repent, but that 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 they keep in that new direction, that they keep the, the actions of repentance. And then he continued to follow, 22. To this day, I have, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets of Moses um, said would come to pass, and that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he will proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. See, Paul is saying, I'm not saying anything new. This is what the Old Testament teaches. And that's why I say Christianity really shouldn't, it isn't at odds with Judaism. Christianity is, is the, the, the fulfillment of Judaism. Because in Judaism, they were looking for the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah, and our faith in Christ is the result of that. And some people, they didn't believe in Jesus the Messiah, and they wanted to hold on to their customs. They wanted to hold on to their past. But aren't you glad we don't hold to Judaism anymore like, like they did? That you didn't have to bring in animals this morning to slaughter? That we don't have to do that to atone for our sins? Why? Because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. He died on the cross for our sins. So we don't have to do that anymore. Now, it doesn't mean that the Old Testament is useless, because it isn't. There's a lot of good things in there. It's all profitable for us, and we can learn so much from studying the Old Testament. But here, Paul is just telling them, hey, this is my life. But then we read about how the gospel is rejected. The gospel is rejected because Festus here, he starts to, he interrupts. Festus interrupts. 24 and 25. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning has driven you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. 
but I am speaking true and rational words. Have you ever been called crazy? Nuts? Have you ever seen or been around somebody who just talks in a way and you're just like, you're nuts. You're crazy. That's what Festus here is calling, uh, he's calling Paul. And Paul's like, no. Yes, I'm educated, but everything makes sense. And when you believe in Christ, it does make sense. When you, when, now on this side of, of the Old Testament, we can go back and read the Old Testament and be like, man, I can see now how Jesus was here and here and here. Because Jesus always was, right? Jesus did not begin in Bethlehem. Jesus was there, not just at creation, but even before creation. Well, so Festus interrupts, but Agrippa ignores. Let's see that in verse 26. But the king knows about these things. And to him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? See, and this is where Paul says, right, what I have done, I haven't done in a corner. He hasn't done it in a corner. He hasn't lived his life for Christ as a spy. He lived it boldly for him. And that's intimidating for us to live boldly, especially Paul, because was he threatened several times with his life? Even in, in jail, he's in prison now, still speaking boldly for him. And it's funny because he's talking to King Agrippa. And he says, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. I know you do. But if he believes the prophets, then he has to believe in Jesus. And now Agrippa has come face to face with making a decision. Because if he says he believes the prophets, then, well, why don't you believe about Jesus? Jesus did the same thing with the Pharisees. John the Baptist, is he a prophet? Well, if he is, then why didn't you listen to him? If he's not, why didn't you do anything about it? You know, and he puts him in this position. So Agrippa just has to not answer. Not answer. He says, what, you think you can persuade me? And I think maybe Agrippa is listening to all this, knows it's true, but he says, you know what, I can't follow through. Are you going to persuade me? And Paul's argument is so logical that really, right, anybody who was knowledgeable would have had to agree with it. But then we see how Paul pleads. Paul's plea. And this, this was Paul. This was his heart. And Paul said, whether short or long, whether, right, whether today, tomorrow, next year, whatever, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, <laughs> except for these chains, right? I want all of you to be free. I want all of you to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. I want you to be like me. I want you to see Christ, to live for Christ as I do, except I don't want you arrested. I don't want you in chains. Paul's heart was for all people. Even King Agrippa, who was living in sin, right? Did Paul call him out on that? No. Because he wasn't concerned about that. So many times we as Christians, we're known for what we're against and not for what we're for. And Paul wants him to be saved. He wants Bernice to be saved. He wants all the people, great and small, 
to be saved, to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. But then the trial ends. So the trial closed. Let's read about that, verse 30. When then the king rose, and the governor of Bernice, and those who were sitting with them, and when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, This man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Does that verse bother anyone here? That has bothered me for years. As, as a youth, I remember reading that and thinking, man, Paul was an idiot. If he didn't appeal to Caesar, he could have been set free. Why did he appeal to Caesar? Did Paul make a mistake here? I don't think so. He knew that God was calling him to Rome, right? He knew that. And he knew that there were people out to get him, right? Time after time, they would try to set trap ambushes for him to kill him. This way, at least he had some protection. But this way, he could also witness to royalty, not just the common people, but to the leaders of the country. Because if you can get the leaders of the country saved and following God, would that affect the nation? It would. It would. So Paul knew what he was doing, and he was willing to sacrifice time in prison in order to share the word, in order to get, uh, to get people to hear the truth. Because he didn't care about himself. He cared about others. And what an example that is for all of us. So many times it's so easy for me even to blend in in my surroundings, to be a, to be a chameleon so that nobody knows. Oh, I, I don't want them to know that I'm a Christian. I don't want them to know I'm a pastor because if they know I'm a pastor, then, oh, man, they're going to start asking me questions that I'm not going to know or now they're going to be watching my every move and they're going to judge, you know, Whatever. That's not how we should be. We should be open about our faith. And not just, not just in our words, but in our deeds as well. If you were brought to court on your faith, being accused of a Christian, would there be any evidence that says, wow, yeah, you are definitely a Christian? Or would it be shaky or circumstantial at best? See, God has called us not not to be a spy, not to do things in a corner, but to live for him in front of all. Let's pray.